Hey, uh, Romans chapter one, we said that um, sort of the summary of that was it is this, this um, uh, idea of uh, what happens when people turn resources into sources um, or into the source. And um, we talked about that as idolatry. Idolatry is when we begin to look at the things that we are given as gifts, the things that we hold, the things that we love, including relationships or possessions um, or even our thoughts and ideas, that we can begin to cling to those and see those as, um, as source or treat them as source. We may not even notice that we're doing it. Um, and Paul says what happens when people begin to turn uh, things that are supposed to be seen as the resources that are given as gift to us um, as sources that then all kinds of problems ensue. Right? So we have all sorts of uh, worse behaviors that come out of uh, us as humans when that happens. And so then Paul plays that out through the next few chapters and not, not so much playing it out, but like, here's why this is important to understand as foundational to what I'm going to tell you Romans in the next, uh, you know, 16 chapters is I want you to understand that there's a way forward, that this isn't the end of the story, just because all of us have fallen into that same sort of behavior of turning, uh, you know, our resources into source is that because of that Christ or Jesus who came demonstrated a better way and in his uh, work, in his life and his death, and also in his resurrection. And those three things we've talked a lot about because that seems to play itself over and over again in Paul's thinking in Romans is that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that there is a model for all people. Um, that if we live by that model, then we begin to exit that system of turning resource into source and all the negative consequences from that. We begin to experience what life really is. And, um, and Paul says there aren't really two, two, two realities. There's the reality of death and there's the reality of life. And both are happening at the same time. And you can choose to live in the reality of death, or you can choose to live in the reality of life. And that's actually the gift. The gift is that you're no longer slaves to, to the system of death. In Christ, we are all free from that. Mm. And we have the power of choice, the power of decision. Okay? And so we don't have to adopt the, the, the victim mentality. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm a product of, uh, of my environment. Um, and Paul really argues against that sort of thought. Like, you're not just the product of your environment. You have been freed by Christ. You have the power of choice to live either in this new reality of life or to continue to live in the reality of death. And it's a decision and it's a choice that we have every single day. Um, and, uh, and so we get to choose um, each day. Um, and so when we finally get to this uh, chapter that we're looking at, in Romans chapter six, um, Paul is going to uh, say some things even more acutely about this idea of life, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ as a way forward. Um, uh, it, it, the, 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 the wonderful thing about what Paul is doing, I think, in terms of the way he treats Jesus is he's, he's contrasting Jesus. And I think it's wonderful because he's contrasting Jesus 
in many ways, without saying so, to other master teachers in philosophies. Uh, the three main philosophies that influenced everyone's thinking, including Paul's thinking, and you see it in his writings, are Stoicism uh, and uh, Epicureanism and, Stoic, uh, and um, Platonism. Those three philosophies were, pro were really, really dominant in the day of, of Paul. And so uh, these were methods of trying to deal with these realities that Paul is, is talking about. Uh, the realities of people's own personal suffering as a result of bad behavior. Uh, so people uh, were experiencing pain, emotional pain, uh, psychic pain, and, uh, and were experiencing uh, problems in relationships and, and in society. And the concern uh, of people and of philosophy was, how do you deal with this? Is, is there a better way? Is there a way forward? And so people have long been wrestling with, what do you do with your inner pain? What do you do with the struggle? What do you do with uh, the anguish, the fear that, that we experience? What do you do with the anger we experience? You know, what do, what do we do with the, 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 the falling apart of relationships and, 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 and collapses of society? What do you do? How do you fix this? And, and, and so there's always these competing thoughts. And so some would say, well, you know, just, just live a temperate life. Don't, don't try to repress all your desires because that ends up doing what? All of us who've ever seen this happen, we've seen people who've repressed, 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 eventually pop, right? And they do something pretty, pretty scary. So Paul says that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? Um, and so there were these debates among the philosophers as to, do you do that? Uh, do you live an ascetic life, meaning you deny the flesh, you deny your desires completely? Um, do you escape to, to, to higher level thinking? Is it just a matter of perspective? You need better perspective? Uh, in that if you have better perspective, then you won't do these things. These were the debates. This is what was going on in his day. And Paul says there's a completely different system in Jesus that has been presented to us that can finally free us from our fears and the result of our fears, which is almost always sin, right? bad behavior, things that create problems um, in our world. All right, so let's jump into Romans uh, chapter 6. And we're going to read verses one and uh, we're going to, I'll tell you when we'll bounce. We'll do a few verses here and then um, get to the end of the book or the, uh, the, the, the chapter here. All right. So verses one and we'll read all the way to uh, verse 16 and then um, we'll jump from there. Verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So I'm reading from the New International Version. And um, uh, if you don't have that, um, can we do a share screen? Yep. Okay. So you should be able to see that now, verse, uh, uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old life was 
crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And we'll explain that in a moment because that's a bit of a confusing verse. Verse 15, what then shall we say, uh, shall we, what then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I know you fully understand every part of this um, because it is so obviously clear and simple. Um, you know, I wish Paul did make it that a lot simpler, but he is uh, one wordy fellow, uh, perhaps more so than me. Um, and his way of thinking is very much Jewish, but he is also taking some of these philosophies and he's weaving them in and out, which many of us weren't raised with, right? Um, none of us were taught Stoicism. Maybe we learned it um, at some point in life, but we weren't taught these these philosophies. We weren't taught. Um, the Jewish mindset and Jewish way of thinking. Um, and so this is, this is tricky. So we have to unpack some of this, but let's, but we'll get to this uh, point that I was making where Paul says uh, to, to, and this applies to us today is that there's a different way of living that we don't have to be uh, a slave to the system, to the reality of death. We can choose the reality of life. Um, so Paul begins here in, in, in chapter six, um, by asking that question, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Now, here's why he's saying that is because this idea that grace had come for many would have sounded like, are you saying this is a, a new philosophy or a philosophy that's similar to the other others that have been uh, talked about? But this one is that, okay, since you can't really deal with these temptations and these struggles, and these behaviors that are automatic patterns that you have. Just, you know, in Christ, it's all good. Just don't worry about it, right? You're, you're, you're forgiven. Just keep doing what you're doing. And Paul's saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I'm saying something completely different. That's not even the opposite of that. It's just altogether different. It's not in the same conversation. 
because this isn't about, well, you're forgiven, so just go on sinning, or no, you're forgiven, so straighten up and start doing better. It's not that either. Um, but what he is saying is that those of us who have been baptized in verse three, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, you might think, well, that's water baptism, right? So, for those of you who are Catholic and, you know, were christened, you might think of it as that. We were christened at, at birth, and so we were baptized into Christ Jesus. And for Protestants, if, uh, if you were baptized later in life, for you, it's at that moment of baptism, I was baptized into Christ Jesus, and that was my act of, of you know, conversion. Uh, but, but Paul is saying something deeper here. It's not in the, in the rite or in the sacrament of baptism, you are completely forgiven. You're in Christ Jesus now, right? And so you, can, you don't sin anymore or you shouldn't sin anymore. What he is saying is that this is the method. This is the path. <laughs> this is how you actually exit a life of sin or, you know, automatic behaviors that, you're, that you've been doing for a while that now you're aware of. You're aware that you're doing these things and, um, and these things are unhelpful. Um, I'll give you an example. So since the, 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 this crisis, right, the COVID-19 um, virus, um, I have been able to see in myself more frequently how many times certain patterns are emerging in me that have always been there, behaviors that have always been present. And mine are, I want to escape difficulty. I want to escape pain. I don't like it. So I look for escapes and I can find them very easily. And to actually stay present to reality is extraordinarily difficult for me because I, I, I want to escape from it and I want to create my own. And I can in my imagination or I can in my, uh, in my uh, escapes in, in, in whatever, games or something else. So this has been, a, I've been a, a, acutely aware of it. Now I can choose to continue in that. But the problem with that is that it has a certain effect. It has a certain negative consequence to it. Um, and so my path, by way of example, is if I'm going to be baptized with Christ in his death, that means that I have to die to that, right? That means that I have to actually say no to it, and I have the power to say no to it. I have the power to leave the life of death, the reality of death, and enter into the reality of life, right? And that, that's, what, that's what faith is. That's what requires a whole lot of faith is to believe there's a better way. There's a way that leads to life. And there's a way that leads to death. Which one am I going to choose? And every day I have that choice. Um, and so he says, we are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. And here's the promise that Paul is making. It's a guarantee. It's not like the other philosophies where you try them and then you realize it only got you so far. Paul is saying this is a promise and a guarantee that because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you, if you follow this path, his path, you will also experience life. It's really simple and yet remarkably difficult. And that's always true about whatever Jesus teaches, about whatever Paul teaches. It's simple and brutally difficult to do. And we like the reverse. We like it very complicated and simple to do, right? complicated in thought. We get all crazy with our thinking and our ideas and our philosophy. And Paul says, it's simply this, you have to die to those patterns. And if you do, you will be resurrected to new life. When Paul says something like, Hey guys, it's not just 
go on sinning because it because it's fine and you're all covered. Like he's saying that for a reason. Like he's saying because he he has to say that. Like because this is a thinking of of people. Um, they're taking the faith and they're turning it into this thought. They're like, okay, so grace it means I'm good, and therefore, uh, and and I have my right, you know, kind of belief, uh, and there everything is fine. But what what Paul is saying here is he goes, no, it's not. It's not that you have a, a better philosophy, um, even though he's using these different methods of philosophy. He's saying you have a new life. Um, there was this. <laughs> I had these friends in in. Um, in this church that was in Columbus that basically did exactly what Paul is saying not to do here. It was a, a church that was very popular and it was all about, um, you know, you're covered by grace now. It's all grace now. So like basically your decisions don't really matter uh, that much, you know, they kind of do, but for the most part, like it's not really as important. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is they didn't have a new way of life. They only had a new way of thinking. Hmm. And I think that's what mm-hmm. Paul is trying to emphasize here. It's a new way of life because honestly, I, I don't know that I've ever met a more miserable Christian than one that is trying to have their feet in both worlds. They're trying to just ha- do what they want to do and just call it grace. And they want to um, kind of have a faith that is rooted and, and true, but they also want this, these other things. They want both their resource and their source. Mm-hmm. And no one is more miserable than when you're trying to hold on to both. I want these things in my life, um, but I know that I know it's necessary that I have God in my life. But what Paul is pointing here, he's like, no, no, no. Once you're really uh, foundationally understand that you have a new identity, um, and it always gets called into question during times like this. There, there's a big like, who are we now? Question that's going on right now. Yeah. But um, I think what. Paul is doing in here is he's saying like, regardless of context, you come back to the source. And when you do, what you get is not um, a better way of thinking, a better philosophy, even a better faith, but you have a new life. Yeah. It's, a, it's something that's totally different in your identity. Yeah. I really like that, Jim. But yeah. Not a new way of thinking, a new life. Um, you know, and I thought of, as you were talking, I thought about also the, um, the other, the flip side of that, which are the churches that are very rules oriented, right? <laughs> yeah, right. right. So it, you might hear me saying, you might hear me leaning that way, like, oh no, is he going into rules oriented thinking? But rules oriented thinking is, is just as empty. And um, I grew up in those churches and there's more sin in those churches than there is in <laughs> churches that don't have that. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> it's so bad <clears throat> that actually when I see something that's really rules oriented, I know there's like really terrible behavior going on <laughs> in that community and I want nothing to do with it. Um, and, uh, and so, because what is it, what's, what is it about rules? Um, and Paul says that that's the point. That's the problem there is that the, that the, that the rules are all part of the same darn system, <laughs> the same system of trying to fix yourself. And Paul says, that's not possible. It's when you know, when the light has gone on in your head and you see yourself and you see your behavior and you say that pattern in me has to die. And I hate, I hate that. I really do. And, and, and it terrifies you, but you know, when you've landed on it, because it's, it's the hardest thing you will ever have to do. But yet it's the, it's the, it's, it's the hardest thing. And yet it's the simplest thing. Again, it's the most difficult thing you'll have to do. But man, when the eye, your light, the lights go on and you see it, you see yourself being yourself say, man, that's the, that's what I have to die to. And it's, it's going to kill me in every way. It's going to feel like a death. I tell people this all the time. If it, you know, you know, when you're getting close to being like Jesus and following his model 
It's when you feel like it's death, like, ah, oh, this is so killing me, right? Good. That's right. It's killing the ego. And here's the thing is we die a lot of uh, useless deaths. There's so many deaths we die that are completely useless and we don't have to. Like people who don't vocalize their needs ever because they don't want to be vulnerable. And so they're dying slow death and it's like, that's the wrong death, right? Yeah. It's, it's maybe part of the same personality system you've developed as a mechanism of survival. That's what you have to die to. I think sometimes we'll actually die for our ego more willingly than we'll die to it. Oh my goodness. That's a really good saying. That is a good saying. I should you write that put down. The, that's a Twitter. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a tweet. That's a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Man, I like that. Well, yeah. I'm going to write it down. It's it's, you gotta get, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> See, good things come out. It's just like... <laughs> We have to, we have to be talking though for that to happen. So it's, all right. So yeah, really good. Um, so, so that leads us to this, this, this verse that that's where I was going with this contrast between those who live by law and rules and are like, this is the, you know, we're going to double down because yeah, Paul is right. You know, yeah. shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And I've heard these, I've heard this so many times preached this way. But if you look at verse 14, the reason why it's so comp- it's so confusing is because he's addressing that we're binary thinkers. We think in terms of either it's all good, all grace, you're all forgiven. Don't worry about it. Nothing you can do will ever, uh, you know, will ever be, you know, not forgiven, which is true. All sin has been forgiven in Christ, all of it, past, present, future. But that doesn't mean that you can't live a very destructive life. You still can. Um, so, uh, so there's that system of grace that, that people overplay. And then there's the one of rules that people overplay. And Paul says in verse 14, look at verse 14. It is really interesting how he puts this together. For sin shall no longer be your master. Let's pause there. For sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because we have grace and everything's forgiven. Don't worry about it. Just live the way you want to live. Or because now you have a new set of rules. Is that how it, is that what you, you would expect Paul to follow up with something like that? For sin shall no longer be your master because now you know the rules. <laughs> For sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because you've been forgiven and don't worry about it. It's all good. But here's what he says, because you're not under the law. Wait, wait, wait. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law. Well, well, wait. Sin and law seem now to be paralleled with each other. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. What is going on here? Well, we've already learned this in the previous chapters. If you've been walking through this with us, is that for Paul, the same system of of, uh, either behaviors of sin or they attempt to fix it for Paul is all part of the law. That's what he says in Galatians. So he's making that deliberate point. Mm -hmm. Every attempt by the human to fix the human is part of the law. It's part of that whole system of the law. Um, Every attempt to just, or the other opposite to just like, let's just go all in and do whatever our our pleasures uh, lead us to. He says, that's also a work of the flesh. Both are works of the flesh. And both are part of this whole system of the law. Now, if you think about it in the Old Testament, the law was that. The law was very much like, don't do this, don't do that. And if you do, these are the consequences to it. Um, and these are the punishments. Um, and there was all sorts of you know, rituals, rituals and rules. Both were there together. 
Paul says that whole system un, in Christ has been completely um, overturned. Um, mm. There's something different here. And he says we're under grace. Mm. Right? So what does that mean? It means what we just talked about. Grace is that we have been forgiven and we have been completely accepted by God. And that if we can walk into that truth of that we're accepted, walk into the grace that we are completely accepted, then we can now be free. We are completely free from inability to choose. We are no longer victims. We're no longer prisoners. We're no longer slaves. We're free. But now we are free to choose to die to the pattern uh, that we're so used to and accustomed to living by and live to something different altogether. We're finally free to change, to transform. Prior to that point, you're enslaved. You're enslaved, to, you're blind, right? You don't even know that you're following a certain pattern of behavior. But in Christ, we're continually being, our eyes are continually being opened. And every time they're opened, what we see is we see our own behaviors and we see how loved we are. And now we have the power to change. And, uh, and boy, that's a different motivation too. Because now that I'm loved, I want to change. I want to do better. I'm driven by that or guided by that, I should say, not driven. So when he wraps up in verse 21, he says, what benefit do you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? So what Paul is doing is really saying, recall, call to mind your pattern, okay? So when you want to go to your escape, Joel, when you want to run to something, recall how to, what, what a Think about what plays out after that. How do you feel? You feel great. You feel alive. You feel full of joy. No, you don't. Right? So, so it's not actually meeting your need, even though it, it promises to, this is the lie, the great lie of sin and death in our, in our lives, in us personally, is that it promises to meet a need. And it always fails us every single time. And yet we keep going back to it. And so Paul says, these are the things that you're to recall. Remember these things. Because if you bring them to mind, you'll realize none of these things that I do actually really meets my need. It actually results in what? As he says, it results in death. Right? Death internally. You feel it. You feel worse as a result of that. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is what? Eternal life now. Not eternal life as if Paul's not talking about someday. You know, if you live good, someday you're going to go to heaven. That is not what Paul has in mind. This is why I tell people who think that way, just read Paul. <laughs> you know, if you read Paul, you'll see it. It's not, in, it's not what he's pointing to. What he's pointing to is life in the here and now, as well as life in the, in the future, right? So it's eternal life that begins now. You begin to experience a quality of life. And then he finishes with the famous verse, famous for many Protestants, um, is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he brings it all back to saying, all of this ties into what Jesus Christ did. That if we live according to these patterns, it produces death. But if we live according to his way, which is death being united with him in baptism, in his death, following his way, dying to, the, to our patterns, then the gift of God is eternal life. 
And so that's the wonderful news is that you're not on your own. When you do this, you are following the person of Jesus Christ more closely than you ever have. And when you follow Jesus Christ more closely than you ever have, you will be united with him. You will experience Jesus in the death that you die when you do that. And you will also experience his life in the here and the now. This is what surrender looks like as I sort of taking in these verses. Um, what it does is so much there's this pull from control and I can't help but think of like we, you know, we think here we're in the land of the free um, and all of a sudden these freedoms feel like they're taken away and like our, our needs are still being met. There is a, a threat to our economy. There's a lot of different things going on, but um, it's times like this that I remember that God wants to meet my need and starve my addiction. <laughs> That's another one, Jim. God wants to meet, yeah, God wants to meet our need. He wants to meet our need and starve our addiction. Yeah. He wants to meet our need to, for a relationship, connection in the ways that we need it. Make sure, you know, we that we have the connection to God that we need, um, connection to relationship that we need, con- um, um, if we lean into our health, like God will meet us in that place. But it so takes away from my addiction to like, I want this now and I want to be able to do this now and I want to be able to go to this place now, whatever I want. And whenever this, that sort of tweak and that squeeze is put on, like it's been put on lately, I just can feel that sort of ache. But I still have to remember like my my needs are being met. Um, and to kind of continually come back to that. Let me finish with uh, a thought that's burning on me in terms of shame and it'll, it'll be real short and then we'll jump into worship. Um, there was a moment where I had to decide whether I was going to listen to what God said about me or if I was going to continue to live it with my own narrative about who I am. And I think that for, um, for a lot of us, um, that's, that's, that's true. It's sort of a yielding to what does God say about you, that you're completely loved, you're completely forgiven, and that it's all grace. And that we have this other narrative that goes on in our head, which is that uh, I might be rejected, I got to work harder, I got to do better. And the truth is that we are loved, we're forgiven, and we have to kind of work at yielding ourselves to that truth and accepting that deep within us. And then in terms of the patterns, it's exactly what you guys are saying, then in terms of the behavior, that's what we begin to say. One leads to death and that's, that's producing nothing in my life. That's anything good. And the other one does. And so from grace, from the fact that I'm fully accepted and loved, now I want to move forward and, and change and transform for the sake of me, but for the sake of other people, the sake of being able to really serve this world and be a transformative power um, to those around us. So, Father God, thank you so much for everything that you provided. Thank you for the peace that you have granted us, the grace through Jesus Christ uh, to accept um, having our world upended. And Father, I ask all the more that we are able to hang on to that peace and emanate that and stay in that. Accept it as a huge gift now. And Father, I ask for calm to pervade. Mm. 
the lettuce go <laughs> in our house, all the different corners of the house <laughs> are allowed to go um, in your peace, in your knowledge, shining light in every corner of our house, that we are free and conquerors through Christ Jesus. And God, help us to spread that light in a way um, that we can't even imagine, even though we feel so restricted that your ways are absolutely open and free. Thank you, God. And everyone go in peace. Thank you very much. Be blessed.